Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. All right. Well, good morning, guys. It's great to see you. You guys can be seated. Um, Merry Christmas. Are we still saying that this week? I'm just going to keep saying it. It'll be like the end of January. Merry Christmas. A few and uh, a handful of you guys made it out of PJs uh, for what I assume is the first time over the last few days. Uh, I know we've got some folks watching online. It's great to see you Uh, all. My name is Chris Kretzu, uh, the campus pastor here. Thank you guys for being here. Um, Not really much to announce. It's kind of a a quiet time. The church office is closed this week, and there's not a lot of other stuff going on. But uh, next Sunday, we're kicking off uh, January with a brand new series called New Normal. Um, And uh, we're super excited to look at what does it mean for us uh, to take what we knew as normal and recognize that we may never have that again. Uh, And there are some things that are difficult and and we grieve about that. But at the same time, there are things that God has called us to learn and to grow through and to grow from. And and so what does it look like for us to uh, move into 2021 in a healthy um, way, pursuing the wholeness that God really desires for us. So I'm excited to talk about that. It's going to be all January long. That starts, like I said, next Sunday. Um, super excited for that. And I think that that's it. So thank you guys for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, the final Sunday of the year is always a little bit of an odd Sunday. And, and really that whole week, um, I was joking around with some friends the other day and and only half of them got this joke. So I'm assuming only half of you will get it as well. But uh, this this final week, like December 26th through January uh, 1st, is kind of like this in-between week. That's just kind of a filler week. I said it was like the lorem ipsum of weeks. Does anybody here get that reference? Perfect. So I'm striking out on all counts. Today's going to go well. Maybe some of you guys online got it. Uh, I'll just assume everybody online's laughing. Uh, is what it is. So uh, Laura Mipson is just kind of this filler text that a lot of website builders and, and 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 content creators they use when they're just trying to block out spaces. And and in a lot of ways, this week kind of feels like just a filler week of like, okay, we celebrated Christmas and and there's kind of this lull. And in some ways we love it, and in other ways we kind of feel ourselves a little bit anxious and trying to figure out, okay, what's coming next? And, and when is the next time I need to get dressed? Uh, these types of questions that we all wrestle with. Um, and, uh, and so I wanted to just talk about something a little bit different this week. This message is actually, it's really different than, than what I've done in the past and the way that we have done things in the past, um, on this kind of in-between day. Um, you know, I, I, uh, as I look back on 2020, on, on the past year, I want to talk about something that I loved about the last year. Um, we've talked a lot about the difficult things. We've talked a lot about the challenges that we've experienced. Um, but I wanted to just acknowledge uh, something from pop culture that gave me hope, uh, that made me laugh, uh, that made me want to try harder. Um, 2020 has been strange, and there is a, a show that was released on Apple TV. I don't know if you guys are, uh, have Apple TV. TV, but it's a show called Ted Lasso. I don't know if anybody here has watched the show Ted Lasso, uh, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit today. You don't have to have seen the show 
to understand what I'm talking about, and I'm not going to ruin the surprise for you. Marielle's very worried that I'm going to ruin the surprise. Uh, but it gives us, you know, this this show, it, it gave me um, something to aspire to, uh, something to long for that really nothing else over the last year from popular culture has. It's all been a lot of negativity and weariness and frustration. And so today I am going to preach a message that I am calling the gospel according to Ted Lasso. And so just bear with me uh, here. There's a quote that um, originated with St. Augustine uh, somewhere around 400 AD uh, is when he lived. But it's been echoed uh, by everyone from like sweet Southern grandmas to John Calvin. This, this quote says, all truth is God's truth. And I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, uh, but it's something I just wanted to talk about briefly because kind of loosely speaking, the idea here is that we can learn the truth from any number of sources. It doesn't have to be labeled something as Christian uh, to be able to have truth in it, to have goodness, to have hope in it. Uh, we can learn truth from any number of sources, regardless of how holy, quote unquote, they may be. Just because something isn't labeled Christian doesn't mean it doesn't teach us truths about who God is or how we should live. And that's why, uh, or that's the, my defense, I guess, as I start to talk about a TV show that's not necessarily a, a family show, it's TV mature, uh, and it's not a Christian show, but it taught me something and it illustrates something that I want to look at today, um, something that I have uh, been amazed by. Every person that I know that has seen the show, every person, every article that I've read, all the reviews that I have seen about it, every single person has responded the same exact way to this show. And it ha- they, they say that it has given them the desire to love other people well to care for other people better. Um, Ted Lasso is uh, is this coach where I actually want to show you guys just like a, a preview of what the show is about so you kind of have an idea. But, but um, before I show that, uh, he, he is an American football coach who gets hired to manage a English football team, a.k.a. soccer. So he goes from American football to uh, soccer. Um, he doesn't know anything about soccer. He doesn't know anything about English culture. Uh, half of the insults that people uh, throw his way are in a vernacular that he's not familiar with. Uh, the owner of the team actually hired him on purpose to tank uh, the soccer team as a, re- a revenge scheme against her ex-husband. Um, but uh, Ted Lasso, uh, his coaching is all about investing in the well-being and the caring for the people that are on his team. And everybody that's in his life, he kind of views as being on his team. So with that said, let's let's play this clip so you guys have just a little reference of what I'm talking about. Oi, mate, this is you. I believe it is. Wicked. You coaching football, you are a legend for doing something so stupid. I mean, it's mental. They're going to murder you. Bit of news from the other side of the Atlantic. AFC Richmond announced the hiring of their new manager, American football coach Ted Lasso. You're an American who's now in charge of a football club despite possessing very little knowledge of the game. I know that AFC Richmond is going to give you everything they got, win or lose. Or tie. Right, y'all do ties here. Did you see that? He must be from England, yeah. Wales, that another country? Yes and no. How many countries are in this country? Four. Like it or not, Richmond are changing the way we do things. And from now on, that way is the lasso way. Hey, 
look, this car's got an invisible steering wheel. <laughs> what you're doing is irresponsible. This club actually means something to this town. You don't think I see that every day out there on the streets? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I think that's what it's all about. Embracing change. Champagne! Being brave. Your decision to bench Jamie was a masterstroke. I don't think we're allowed to talk like that at work anymore. You got no fear of the other dog. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. I always figured that tea was just going to taste like hot brown water. And you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. No, thank you. Welcome to England. Uh, so a little taste of it. Um, you, like I said, you don't have to have seen the show to understand the sermon portion of this, but the show uh, ha- has really, um, like I said, it's been kind of a source of hope and laughter. Ted Lasso, uh, is, I saw him described, he's kind of a cross between John Wooden and Mr. Rogers. Uh, somewhere like right in the middle is like this goodness and this love and this hospitality and this generosity and also this ability to care for people in a way that makes them better uh, in soccer, but even just in life. Um, it's kind of a classic fish out of water story. And I think part of why it works so well is that 2020 has felt like a fish out of water year. None of us have had a clue what to do. None of us have had a clue how to handle the challenges that have come, how to, how to deal with the news or the other news or the news response to this news or, or how to best navigate relationships through Zoom calls and, and to plan with our finance. Everything about this year, nobody was ready. Nobody was prepared for what this year was going to bring. Nobody knew how to handle this. Not a single person made it through the last 12 months unscathed, uh, but we wanted to believe that we could. There, there's something about Ted's character in the show that is so great, not only because he chooses to see the best in people, but that he actively works to help them become better, to care for them. Uh, he graciously assumes that everyone has a story and a reason why they are the way they are. Ted isn't optimistic for the sake of optimism, but for the sake of the other person. Not everything goes smoothly. Obviously, there's got to be some tension in the show. The star athlete is incredibly arrogant and cruel. The the team captain is super angry about becoming old. The owner is trying to sabotage everything. Uh, and I think what stood out to me, because you guys know I've talked about this. I'm not necessarily what some would describe as a sports fan, uh, more of a music fan. Uh, but what stood out to me about this show is that, is that oftentimes when you see shows about sports or movies about sports, the coaches are, are kind of gruff and like manly men and like we're going to shout at you and we're going to make it happen. And that's just never really resonated with me a whole lot. And, and what I loved about this is that that's not really the way that Ted Lasso coaches. He is relentlessly kind and positive and exuberant and hopeful, and he doesn't care when other people mock him for that, um, which is such a unique thing. One of the things I appreciate the most is that whenever you feel like everything is going to come crashing down, like people are going to take advantage of his kindness and he's going to look like a fool for trying to do things in a loving way, this is the way that most shows work. Somebody ends up looking like a fool because of their good intentions, 
But this show doesn't do that. You, you make it through this show with this genuine sense that maybe, maybe this is possible. Maybe this could work. This resonates with something in each of our hearts, both a fear and a hope that each of us have. We all fear that the worst will happen to us, but we all hope that goodness wins. We all fear we will experience rejection or, or loss or, or, or trauma, but, but we all hope that good wins. This is what we just celebrated at Christmas. On Christmas Eve, we talk about how a light came into the darkness and the darkness cannot overwhelm it. This is why people still love Star Wars because it's a classic battle of light versus dark. And in all of our movies, this exists to some way. So what chord specifically did this strike in my heart? This is a rhetorical question. Am I crazy? Don't answer. For thinking that this is there's something spiritual about this story, about this show, about what is embodied in this show, or is there something really that resonates with a deep scriptural truth? And this is what I want to look at today. Ted essentially embodies something that the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians. From the moment we meet him through the, the final episode of the, the show, which I won't give away. Mariel, I'm going to keep doing that the whole time this morning. Um, is uh, There's this consistency, and it is powerful. Ted's character stays true to what he believes, and you see the impact on everyone's life around him. He doesn't change because of the way he lives. Everyone else is changed. And I think that we've all wondered and maybe we've dreamt of what it might look like if we could really love people the way that scripture invites us to. What would that look like? Could we really do it? And so we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians, and, and this is where Paul starts us off. And, and before we read this first verse, Paul describes something to us that we have all experienced from other people this year. Paul describes something that every one of us has felt from other people. Every one of us have heard from other people. He describes something like wisdom, truth, experience, knowledge, understanding, strength, Sacrifice. You probably didn't think I was going to say that we've all felt that this year from people. But we have in different ways. We have all felt that from people. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, what if I speak in the most elegant languages of people or in the exotic languages of the heavenly messengers, but I live without love? Well, then anything I say is like the clanging of brass or a crashing cymbal. What if I have the gift of prophecy? I'm blessed with knowledge and insight to all of the mysteries. Or what if my faith is strong enough to scoop a mountain from its bedrock, yet I live without love? If so, I am nothing. I could give all that I have to feed the poor, and I could surrender my body to be burned as a martyr. But if I do not live in love, I gain nothing by my selfless Acts. Paul starts off this passage by saying, you could have all of the wisdom. You could speak in all of the languages of men. You could understand the languages of, of heaven. You could have foresight and knowledge and understand truth. You could sacrifice and give and, and ultimately lay yourself down. But if you don't do these things with love, then they mean nothing. And I think that's what we have experienced a lot of this year. A lot of truth, a lot of information, a lot of wisdom. Everyone is trying to articulate their understanding or the way things really are. But somehow 
most of the time what gets left out is the love piece. And so all of it just sounds like this resounding gong, Paul <laughs> describes, this obnoxious clash of symbols. It doesn't necessarily mean that what people are saying is wrong, but there's been a lack of, of it being done in love, and it's difficult for us to hear. A year focused on right and wrong or truth or lies or winners and losers. A year making judgments on everyone and everything around us from politics to the social realities to, to church. We have all experienced this and we have all played a part in this. And Paul says what we all now know. There is nothing attractive or Christ-like about being right and a jerk. There's nothing about that that draws us in. There's nothing about the beauty of Jesus in that. It doesn't matter how good you are if you aren't loving. It doesn't matter how much you know if you aren't loving. It doesn't matter how pious or religious you are if you aren't loving. It doesn't matter how successful you are. Truth without love is ugly and noisy. And he goes on in a passage you may be familiar with. I'm reading it from the voice translation. It says things just a little bit differently, which I think helps us sometimes when we read familiar Bible passages. There's, there's a different kind of verbiage that helps make it new to us again. Paul says this. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't envious. It doesn't boast, brag, or strut about. You get kind of like a Mick Jagger vibe in that description of love. There is no arrogance in love. It's never rude or crude or indecent. It is not self-absorbed. Love isn't easily upset. Love doesn't tally wrongs or celebrate injustice. But truth, yes, truth is love's delight. Love puts up with anything and everything that comes along. It trusts and it hopes and it endures no matter what. Love will never become obsolete. Love will never become obsolete. This is a passage that we're really familiar with in a lot of different ways. And, and I think that there's this aspect, we hear it a lot of times at weddings, especially, but there's this aspect that we're familiar with it. We're, we're even familiar with some of these adjectives that describe what love lo looks like practically lived out. But I think one of the things that we have all wrestled with is who can live that way? Who can really pull that off? And Ted Lasso can't. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there is a sense that something about his character embodies this beautiful ability to love people well, even when they hate you, even when they are mocking you, even when they are rooting against you, even when they're trying to sabotage you. There's something about this story that is this really incredibly beautiful thing. And what Paul describes is such an important piece for us to really understand, not just this ethereal, or ethereal uh, kind of concept of what love could look like one day, but, but this is what we are called to embody. This is who we're called to be. This is what we're called to pursue. And I just want to kind of go through a few of these things one by one uh, and, and, and kind of dig into them a little bit. The first thing that he says is that love is patient. Love is patient, which I think maybe Paul started off with one of the most challenging things. Because when we have a lack of patience for people, pretty much everything else in this list <laughs> is difficult. Love is patient. Patience is slowing the pace of your life to accommodate other people. 
It's not demanding that other people match your pace of life. It's not looking down on other people when they can't do what you do. Love creates space for other people to flourish. This is what love does. It, it creates a space and says, it's okay, I can wait. It's okay, I don't need to push them. It's okay, I can, I can allow them to figure this out. I can allow them the time to learn, time to grow, time to flourish. Patience believes that people are not their worst mistakes, that everyone needs space to grow. This applies to conversations, patience in our decisions, patience in getting ready for your spouse or waiting for your spouse to get ready, patience in the way we come to realizations, patience in the way that we make commitments. Love uh, exhibits and embodies a sense of patience, and we have got to learn this. Love is kind, and kindness is considering how the other person feels. Kindness leverages its own strength on behalf of someone else. Uh, kindness causes us to say, what, what can I do to help other people? What can I do to care for other people, to, to use my strength on behalf of someone else, to serve someone else, uh, some, someone else without expecting anything in return? It doesn't do anything without considering its impact on other people. This is what kindness looks like. What does it look like for us to, to have a, a deep sense of kindness? And one of the things that they talk about in this show uh, is this phrase, we should be curious, not judgmental. This idea of what does it mean for me to, to show a sense of kindness and trying to understand who you are? Why are you doing things the way you're doing? Not in a negative way, but the sense of help me understand because, because of my love for you, I want to understand. I want to show kindness, not just judge what I see on the surface. So love is patient. It's kind. Love is not envious. We've talked about envy a number of times over the last year. Envy is this insecure voice that says, I don't feel good about myself so I'm not going to let anyone else feel good about themselves either. I don't, I don't know how to pull myself up, so I'm going to pull you down. Envy is unattractive, and love is mature enough to celebrate the success and the progress and the health and the blessing of others, even when we don't feel it in ourselves. Love is not envious. And then it says it doesn't boast, brag, or strut about. There is no arrogance. Pride destroys relationships. Pride says, I can never be wrong. Pride says, I cannot admit to having made a mistake. Pride says, I need to win. I need to be right. Pride tells you, and this is something that I had to learn. This is a huge struggle for me. Someone once told me that one of my biggest issues was pride, which I had a really difficult time understanding because I don't feel arrogant, but, but that's not always what pride looks like. Pride looks like uh, having to be involved. Pride looks like this sense of, well, the only reason why I made this mistake is because somebody else made this mistake. It's this always like somehow I'm, I'm always in this process. Even when you're wrong, pride says it was only because others were wrong first. Paul goes on patient, kind. It's not envious. There's no arrogance. Then he says, it's never rude, crude, or indecent. Sometimes we dishonor people, and, and to dishonor people is to create a regret for another person. 
to say or do something that sends them down a path that they're not proud of. He says that love is not self-absorbed. It's, it's not self-seeking. And oftentimes when we do this, we, we prioritize what we want over what's best for other people. It acts as if the, the main purpose of every relationship is to help me is to benefit me, is to make sure that I win, is to make sure that I feel loved, that I feel seen, that I feel heard, and I feel cared about. These are important things, but the purpose of a relationship is, uh, at its core, it's a sacrificial, caring love for another person, not hoping that they will sacrifice for you. Love is not easily upset, it doesn't force other people to walk on eggshells around us. Anger assumes the worst before getting all the facts. Anger is suspicious and love is different. Love waits and is patient and it listens and it stays calm and doesn't jump to conclusions. It believes the best. It doesn't assume the worst. He says, love doesn't tally wrongs. Uh, doesn't keep a record of wrongs is what it says in the NIV. Um, do you guys know what the... The happiest animal is a goldfish because goldfish only have 10 second memories. They don't keep a record. They don't, they don't hold on to the things that have hurt them, the things that have wounded them, the, the things that have uh, caused them pain in their life. They don't, they don't keep track of people's mistakes to, to kind of use them as hand grenades later on in life. I've worked with a number of couples that have been struggling with different things. And, and so oftentimes they'll get to a point where one of them will say, well, it really is difficult when you X. And then the other one will say, well, do you remember nine years ago when you... And they take this hand grenade and they just lob it into the middle of the argument. They've been holding on to this ammunition. They say, I'm never going to let you live this down. I'm never going to let you uh, forget this. I'm never going to let you move past this. Paul says, love does not tally wrongs. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So be a goldfish is really the lesson here. He says, Paul, uh, Paul says, love delights in truth. Even when it's hard, love lives in the truth. The truth will set you free. And then Paul closes out this portion of the letter in verse 13. He says, but now faith, hope, and love remain. These three virtues must characterize our lives. But the greatest of these is love. These three virtues must characterize our lives, but the greatest of these is love. This is why these types of stories resonate so deeply because we want it to be true of ourselves. I watched this show and there was a sense of, I want, I want that to be true of me. I don't know if you guys saw the, uh, the Mr. Rogers movie where, with Tom Hanks. There was a sense, I imagine everybody that watched that, like, I would love to, to be that kind. I would love to be that sincere, that considerate of other people. That's why we love these underdog stories because we want to believe maybe I could also be that way. Maybe I could be that successful. Maybe people could uh, believe in me. Maybe I could believe in others. We always hope the best stories really are true. And that's the power of storytelling. So when we hear a story, we find ourselves wanting it to be true. We want it to be true about ourselves. Paul's description of love describes who we want to be. We want it to be true of ourselves. It's hard to believe that living this way is possible. And while a TV character certainly is not real life, 
There is something incredibly beautiful and meaningful about seeing a picture of something that we always imagined in our minds. We always imagined what would it be like? What would it look like? And there is one person who embodies all of these things, and that is Jesus. In another letter, Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 2. He said, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So let's not lose, let's not lose this. In your relationships, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He had every right, every power, every position that he could want to be kind of in the advantageous position. Rather, instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then the message translation says it this way. It says, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ. And call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. There's this sense in which what Paul is saying is he's saying in your relationships, you should have the same mindset of Jesus, that you take your rights, your privileges, your being correct, your knowledge, your uh, wisdom, your skills, uh, what you are owed, what you deserve. You take all of that and you set it down beside you in your relationship and you look at others. You say, how can I serve you? Which is ultimately what Christ did. And he says, even to the point of going to the cross for us, this is the the way we're invited to embody love. And then he says, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything. Now, none of us, obviously, are able to love the way that Christ loved us. But that is not an escape clause. That is not a loophole. It is an invitation for us to continue to become more Christ-like. And as we set our rights and privileges and what we are owed aside and love others well, sacrifice, care, be generous, uh, encourage, uh, hope for, build up, as we do this, that is something that God honors. That is something that is beautiful. That is something that we are drawn to when we see other people do that. When we see stories of generosity and kindness, when we see people sacrifice themselves for other people, when we see silly TV shows about coaches that uh, just want to do their best to encourage these individuals or something about us that says, that is good and I want that. But we shortchange ourselves because it seems so difficult And in many ways, it is difficult. But my invitation for us today is not to look at a massive list of things that we cannot be, but to say, what is something that I could focus on over the next few weeks, over the next few days? Love is patient. It's kind. It is not envious. It doesn't boast. There's no arrogance in it. 
It's never rude or crude or self-absorbed. It's not easily upset. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't celebrate injustice. It loves truth. It trusts and hopes and endures. Which of these things is echoing inside of you as something, this is something I can pursue. This is something I can work on. This is something I can work towards. This is something I can look at. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this one piece at a time. There was one person who was able to love perfectly, and we are called to pursue that same love. Jesus exemplified it. Paul described it. And Ted Lasso reminds me of it. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.